Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so, in the name of Jesus Christ, let your name be blessed upon this holy place, and may all of the works of devil be cursed, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of depression, fears, ignorance, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people, and stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented in your divine arms by Pastor Arkady. We ask you to continue to guide it with your high and uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated. Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God into righteousness and holiness of truth. The right to set aside our former way of life in order to be clothed our bodies, to clothe our bodies into a new way of life, or to clothe ourselves into the new man. And for this, it is necessary to receive the right, the right to anointing. When Christ had taught in the temple, the elite had come up to him, the elite of Israel, the high priests, the scribes, and the elders. And they asked him, what authority do you do this with? And who gave you this great authority? He said, I will ask you one question. And in this question, the answer will be there for you. Listen, the baptism of John, is it from God of heaven or from men? They said, well, it's a difficult question. They went off to the side and they began to devise with one another. They, they said, well, if we, we say from God, he will say, why did you not believe in John? But if we say uh, from man, then he's going to say that, why are you following men? And they came up to him and said, we don't know where it is from. And he says, and then I will not tell you the secret for how to receive the right to that authority which I have. So this authority we receive when we acknowledge God's authority. And what's interesting is that when Jesus Christ came to Jordan to be baptized from John, John the Baptist himself uh, withheld him and he said, I should be baptized by you, but you are coming to me? He says, John, leave this. You know that only this is how all truth should be fulfilled. Without acknowledgement of your authority, despite the fact that I was before you, I am greater than you. But without acknowledging your divine authority, I am unable to demonstrate before my Heavenly Father that I have the right to receive the right to the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit in this act. And when he had acknowledged John, John had allowed him to be baptized. He was baptized. The Holy Spirit descended on him. The anointing descended upon him. The authority of the Holy Spirit descended upon him. But this didn't end at this. When God gives something, it is necessary for this to be placed with a seal in the death of the Lord Jesus. And what? He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. 
This is that place where God places His seal over all that which He gives. He received the right to authority or received the anointing. Now it is necessary to receive the ability to use this anointing. And of course, devil tempted him and he said, you've come to receive a, a seal, the right? All right. He lifted up to the pinnacle and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, all the authority. And he said, if you falling will worship me, then all that you see, I will give to you. Without the cross, everything will be yours uh, because you can't come for this, right? He says, no, I will worship the Lord my God, worship the Lord your God, and Satan departed from him. Here we see that Christ had received the right, the right to anointing, to use this anointing. Therefore, it's not just when we acknowledge God's authority in the church of God, in the order of God. We must understand that this anointing must go through a test for each person, and we must receive the right. We are going to be tested by devil. And this test is necessary, this temptation is necessary to endure in order to receive the right to this anointing. And so for the fulfillment of this commandment, what commandment? To set aside the former way of life and to be clothed in a new way of life. That is written by the Apostle Paul and presented to us in the series of sermons of Apostle Arkadi. There are three faithful commands and fundamental actions. This is to set aside, renew, and clothe. And as we see, this was written by Apostle Paul, but why did Pastor offer this truth to us again? Firstly, because it is necessary for us to understand it, to acknowledge it in all of its depths, to understand it, to know it, and not just so that we can understand this truth, because we are continuing to, to study this place of Scripture for years now, years, for years now. We are standing on this truth, and we continually are there. Continually, new things are being uncovered through the preached word that is given and offered to us, and not just for us to understand. God gives living apostles for each generation, not just so that we understand what the apostles that are not yet living, that are not longer living, like like Apostle John, like Apostle Paul. We need living apostles people who will represent the fatherhood of God that could explain to us that which was placed in the revelations of other apostles that are not among us. And this could only be done by the living apostles. And, of course, in order for us to, through the knowledge of this divine authority in the church, that we can receive the right to use the anointing of the Lord. Therefore, living apostles are necessary, and God gives it to each generation in order to acknowledge the fullness of the teaching of Christ and in order to receive the legitimate, lawful authority and the power to use God's grace. And from the fulfillment of these requirements, to set aside, renew, and clothe will depend the perfection of our salvation. What kind of salvation? The salvation that is given to us in the format of a seed so that we can receive it as a belonging in the format of the fruit of righteousness. From seed to fruit, it is necessary to use three verbs, to set aside something, to renew something, and to be clothed into something. And with regard to this, we have stopped to study the 18th Psalm of David, in which acknowledgement and proclamation of the powers contained in the heart of David in the eight names of God had allowed David to love and call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and it gave God the basis to use the powers of these capabilities in battle against the enemies of David. Psalms 18 verses 1 through 4. 
I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And let's please proclaim these eight names of God. Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are the rock in whom I will trust. Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. Lord, you are my stronghold. May the Lord hear these words. May He make us worthy of them, and may He make them eternal in our hearts and in our thinking. And so we will continue to look at the format of the portion contained in the powers of the promises in the name of God Most High, Rock. Lord, you are my rock. In Scripture, the definition of firmness in relation to the natural property of God Most High is painted in such shades as resistant, strong, healthy, wise, experienced, rooted, firmly established, unshakable, permanent, inexhaustible, long, fearless, impenetrable, full of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the natural property and quality of God. And that person who was born from this God, not just born from this God, but who collaborates with the name of God, Rock. In the word rock in relation to the name of God Most High, it is found in scripture in definitions such as a stone, rock, heaviness, weight, and scales. And we are looking at specifically the definition of scales and weights, that place or those definitions in which we could see the name of God, rock. We can look at it in rock, heaviness, scale, weight, but take a look at it, take a look at it specifically under weight scales. Here it is necessary for us to have a specific revelation of the Holy Spirit for this to be uncovered. And so the scales of the Most High in the name of God, rock, is the absolute authority and ability of the Most High to judge and weigh the creation made by Him so that each one weighed on the scales of justice receives His retribution in correlation to his weight. In the weights of the Most High, these are the commandments and statutes of the Most High, on the foundation of which he judges the creation made by him. And among these four classic questions, we have stopped to study the fourth one. We are already coming to the end of concluding this name of God, Rock. And so the fourth question that sounds like the following, according to what results should we judge that we truly have the dignity of firmness contained in the powers of the firmness of the name of God Most High? So what are the results? What is the fruit? How can we define signs? signs that we have this quality of firmness, firmness of the Lord. As it is written, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is firm in you because he trusts in you. And so, what should we understand under perfect peace? The result according to which we can define that our spirit 
is clothed in the firmness of the name of God Most High, which is a guarantee to the promise of perfect peace. So, through the atmosphere of perfect peace in our heart, we define the firmness of our spirit, because He keeps in perfect peace only Him who is firm in spirit. And now a question, what for a Christian is this perfect peace? And we understand that here it is necessary for us uh, to have get a revelation from the Holy Spirit. And let's take a look at the first result of perfect peace in the firmness of our spirit, which is going to be our ability to trust in God. So perfect peace in the firmness of our spirit is our ability to trust in God. Trust, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is firm in you him who has a firm spirit trust in the Lord because the perfect atmosphere is the atmosphere in which the Christian trusts in the Lord Isaiah 26 4 trust in the Lord forever for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength take a look at how we collaborate with God Lord you are my everlasting strength under one condition if I trust in you forever. If we trust in the Lord not forever, only when we need in this, and in other cases we rely, we trust in our own capabilities, in our own ties, in our own shields, well then scripture says that the Lord cannot be our everlasting strength. In order for the Lord to become our everlasting strength, everlasting strength, it is necessary for us to trust in the Lord forever in all spheres always and in all spheres despite the fact that we have well-known people that are well known to us we have a high intellect intelligence we have capabilities you know today we have it and tomorrow like Job, we don't have anything we lose it all that's why while we have all of this today act as if we have nothing let's behave and act in a way as if we have nothing lord i have only you david learned being being he was able to bring his state his spirit in the poverty of christ being the most powerful person at that time and all that he did he did it from the position of the poverty of christ having all yet having nothing we don't need to to have poverty in spirit trust in the Lord forever for the Lord is everlasting strength and if the Lord is going to bring someone in the physical sense to this kind of state to to actual poverty then as the apostle says this is a privilege this is a privilege prayer that is not verified by trust in God can direct our eyes anywhere but God anywhere but God so prayer must be verified what will be verified with by trust in God because if we don't have this we begin to look at other authorities except for God because as a rule we direct our eyes to a kind of authority that we can then trust in on the other hand trust in God gives God the basis to fulfill our supplication so that he does not reject our soul and could save us from the snares and nets of the lawless set for us 
We have mentioned on numerous occasions that often the discipline or truth that is contained in the dignity of trust is mixed with either faith or hope, and they are often, like meekness and humility, called twins. While in fact, trust is the fruit that grows from our hope and is based on hope. And what is hope? If trust comes from hope, then what is hope? Hope is the treasury of God in our heart that contains in itself all of the sworn promises of God that are a part of the unsearchable inheritance of Christ. And when the fullness of time comes that has been established by God for the fulfillment of some kind of promise, then our faith draws this promise from the hope that we have in our heart. Just like meekness produces or gives birth to humility, in the same way hope produces or gives birth to trust in God. It is not humility that gives birth to meekness, but meekness produces humility. Meek lips produce humility. And in the same way hope produces or gives birth to trust in God. So hope is primary and trust that comes from hope. Trust is already secondary. It is the result of the first. And therefore, we can trust only in that which we believe and that which we hope in. Because to trust in something means to rely on something, to lean on something, to look at something, to build your structure on something. Take a look here. That without without hope, we cannot trust. Because trust looks at something, relies on something, leans on something, and builds its structure on something. In order for trust, we need a strong foundation in material with which it must collaborate. And this something must be a certain foundation consisting of certain components, which include not only hope, but also faith, which draws its resources from hope. Therefore, the phrase trust in God means rely on God in His Word, lean on the Word of God, Thank God for His Word, look to the words of God, show faith and hope in God, build a building on the Word of God, make the Word of God your support and reinforcement, make the Word of God your refuge, fortress, and protection. This is what it is to trust in God, whereas the word hope means waiting in patience for what God has promised. This is the state, the atmosphere, of this patience in the heart. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Things hoped for. This is this hope. And so it is when in our heart will be placed a foundation of hope comprised of the sworn promises of God on which we can build the building of our salvation, then we will have the opportunity to trust in something. These are the words that is necessary for us to bring them to complete divine order. There is trust, there is hope, and there is faith. And you are have a puzzle at the table in front of you that is comprised of three parts. Faith, hope, and trust. And you are asked, well, place it correctly and explain to me, how do we Look this puzzle correctly. Very difficult puzzle. People, people 
can't explain, and no one can solve this puzzle. This puzzle is placed or built in the heart of a person. Now, let us again take a look at these words, trust, hope, and faith. Let us start from the last one. As we heard, as Apostle Arkadi had showed us, that trust always comes from and is based on something. Trust must look at something, must lean on something, and build on something. And for trust, it needs hope. Hope is a treasury that is found in the heart. Hope. But the word hope is a sworn promise. It is that which we have in the future. Hope. We don't stop here at hope. Hope must be laid on a different foundation. That is the faith teaching. Because the faith teaching, it has in itself the sworn promise. But it is the foundation for the sworn promises. This is the faith of God. The faith of God is unique in that when it represents the faith of God from God, then God, the faith of God, presents it in the format of the reigning teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, in which, of course, we have the sworn promises of hope. But this faith of God, which must find its place in our heart, this is the teaching of Jesus Christ that is laid in our heart. And on this teaching, on this faith, on this faith teaching, we can build up mountains of the sworn promises. When we have mountains of sworn promises, this gives trust the power to look, to proclaim, and to thank God for these promises. Therefore, saints, we must understand that if we don't have the faith of God in our heart, and the faith of God is that faith teaching in the heart that you you go page to page to page, Lord, where are these promises? I will contain these promises because God, but God wants to place His faith teaching who God is, who we are in Christ Jesus in our heart. And when we understand, we place this firm foundation of faith or the faith teaching, the faith of God in our heart, then on this faith teaching, we, re- we build hope. The sworn promises then become opened, the blessings of the ancient hills and the everlasting mountains. And trust, then we have something to trust in and to lean on. First, we have the faith teaching, the faith of God, in which hope of the sworn promises finds its place, from which flows trust in God. And, of course, there is this, exists also our faith, our faith that collaborates with the Word of God, and it demonstrates obedience to the faith of God. It says, Let it be to me, Lord, according to your word. The Lord placed faith as a foundation. Our faith collaborates with the faith of God. And when the time comes for the fulfillment of the promise, if there is hope and trust, we proclaim, let it be to me according to your word. Therefore, faith, hope, and trust. This is very important for us to understand them. Today we're going to talk only about trust and understand where trust is found. That if a person says, I trust in God, soon and very soon we are going to see the king, he sings. All right, thank you, but let's, let's, let's stop at this and let's talk about this a little bit. How do you have this, how do you have this confidence that 
that you will see the Lord. Well, let's 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 take a look here because hope, because trust is founded on hope. Tell me about the promise related to the door of your hope. People say, what? I've never heard about this. What promise? The promise, the sworn promises that lay at the door of our hope. They say, well, I've never heard about this. Well, then why do you sing the word, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king? Trust is laid on the sworn promises, on the hope, the treasury of hope. And hope is founded on the faith teaching, the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ who has come in the flesh. You read and you think, sometimes a person, a carnal person begins to fall asleep. Where? Where is the promise? Well, this is the faith teaching. This is the foundation, the foundation of our faith, on which there is hope and from which flows trust. Therefore, faith teaching, faith, hope, and trust. And, of course, our faith is our faith that moves in present time, and when it comes to the fulfillment of the promises, we say, let it be to me according to your word. It will happen if we have the foundation of the faith of God in the format of teaching, hope, and trust that flows from it. And so let's define trust. Today we're going to talk about the last one, trust. This means that we already have the faith of God in the format of the faith teaching. We have hope, the treasury of the sworn promises in our heart. And now let's look at trust. Trust in action. The action of our hope and our faith is trust. So first, trust in God grows from the depths of God Himself, whose word is our trust. And therefore, trust in the word of God comes from God. Psalm 62, verse 7, In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my trust is in God. So where is trust? Trust is found only in God. And as we read here, it grows from the depths of God Himself. So, trust can't be in nothing. Trust is that which we look upon, that which we hope in. And that which we look upon, we transform into that very same image of that which we look at. Therefore, sometimes people say, well, why must I look at the reward? This doesn't seem fair. Moses looked at the reward. Scripture says that Moses uh, considered the suffering a greater, greater reward. Why do we look at the reward? You know that the thing is, he trusted, his trusted was in God. He didn't look at the reward. His trust was found in God. And he looked at God. And when Scripture says that he looked upon the reward, he saw his reward in God and not out and not in God's pocket. That's why when people trust in God, they look at God. And when they look at his pocket, this isn't correct. But we don't look at the reward, what God is going to give me from his pocket. If our trust is in God, as Pastor wrote, the first component, that our trust in God grows from the depths of God himself, our trust is found in God, then our reward, of course, is God himself. And all of that which God gives us, he gives it in himself. That's why we can't look at that which God gives without seeing this reward in God. And not just Moses, but David also looked at God and he said, "You are with me, and you are with me in heaven. And without you, I don't want anything on this earth. So if I live earth without you, I need nothing of it. 
I don't, I don't want to be in a heaven where you are not there. And when I'm alone on earth, I don't need anything here because I need you to be with me. Moses and David, their trust was in God. In God. It was found in the depths of God Himself. Second, trust in God comes from and is based on the resurrection of Christ and His glory, which was given to Him by God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead, and gave Him glory, so that your faith and trust are in God. So, to trust not that God had risen him, raised him from the dead, but to trust in the fact that God had raised him from the dead, and we must see ourselves, this resurrection in ourselves. As scripture says that Abraham believed that God was strong to bring Isaac from the dead. He turned this faith, this trust in God, this trust in the resurrection of Christ in his own life. We don't just believe that Christ raised from the death and when we come to church for Passover on Easter day and when pastor says, the Lord has risen, He is truly risen. Well, this works in life a little bit differently. We need to see and to receive our Isaac, our promise, which must die in the Lord Jesus Christ and it must rise together with Him. We must believe that God is strong to resurrect all of our promises. If He has raised Christ from the death, then all the promises that are found in the death, the Lord will also raise in our life. They must die, and they will die, and they die when our soul is immersed in the death of the Lord Jesus. And when we are immersed in the death of the Lord Jesus, then all of these wonderful promises that were given to us, they die. And then we unite with Him in the likeness of His resurrection and here all of these promises raise up together with our soul. We must believe that God is strong enough to save us from the dead, to raise up our bodies, to resurrect our promises. Third, trust in God comes from or grows out of hope in the Word of God in which are contained all of the promises of God. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7. Blessed is the man who hopes in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. From these words, it clearly follows that a person could be blessed from the Lord only when his trust in God is based on his hope in God. Our trust, as we had read here, grows from hope in the Word of God. And this Word of God, God offers through the preached Word of the Apostles. And we won't have trust if we listen to the Word of God and if we don't accept it as the words of God. Scripture says, He who hears these words and who does not fulfill them He's going to be like someone who lacks understanding, who built his house on the sand, and the rain came, and his house fell, and destroyed his home, and he fell, and his fall was very great. So we must build upon a certain foundation. Now pay attention here. A person built, but there was a great fall. Why a great fall? Because there was a great big building. Because a person, all these promises that he heard about, it, he said, Amen, Amen, it is mine, Amen. And then you say, wait a second, trust 
Trust works only under one condition, if we have the treasury of hope in our heart. The treasury of hope can be present only when we have the faith teaching, the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, engraved in our heart. And the teaching can be engraved when our heart has been fully cleansed of all kinds of dead works, that which we call good, but is in fact evil. Then, these promises are going to stand on a firm foundation. We see that today, so many people, these in churches, who build on the sand, they also trust, they also trust in something, but they said, they haven't been told, dear friends, you are building on the sand. Well, how in the sand? I, I love this promise. I wait for it. Well, trust comes from hope. Hope lays on a firm foundation of the faith of God, the faith teaching of Christ that has come in the flesh. Without a firm foundation, without the sworn hope, the sworn promises, and without trust in God, great buildings are going to fall and be destroyed to their very foundation. Fourth, trust in God comes from or grows out of the judgments of God that are the definition of His truth in our lips. Psalms 119.43 And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have trusted in your ordinances. So, to trust in God is to trust in the judgments of God, in the ordinances of God. And one time Asaph had said, And now these wicked... They multiply their riches. Did I in vain cleanse my heart and wash my hands? And I thought that how could I understand this? But this was difficult in my eyes until I went into the sanctuary of God and understand the end of the wicked. Uh, you have placed them on the slippery paths and you are going to overthrow them into the pit. Here it talks about how he trusts in the judgments of God. Judgment in the judge, judge, trust in the judgments is possible when we go into the sanctuary. Asaph had said, I was, I was about ready to be tempted by God. Uh, the wicked are successful. Am I dedicating myself, sanctifying myself in vain, opening myself to the correction of the anointed one of the Lord? Could this be in vain? But and when I went into the sanctuary, the church of God, which is the representative of of his dwelling in on earth i heard about what how great is the end of the wicked turns out that the lord placed them on slippery paths in order to overthrow them into the pits so i trust in your ordinances O lord it says here without the sanctuary without the church it is impossible to trust in god nor the ordinances fifth we are again talking about what is trust. Today there is a whole service here presented for this idea. What is trust? Trust in God. 5. Trust in God comes from or grows out of the information that is contained in the inaccessible light of divine scripture, where we can penetrate through instruction in faith. Psalms 130 verse 5. I hope in the Lord my soul waits, and in His word I do trust. From this verse it follows that that which we hope in, or in which we lay our hope, is our trust. On His word I trust, I wait on the Lord, in His word I do hope, in His word I do trust. This means that we have a sure foundation of faith upon which is the sworn promises in the format of hope, 
and now I am able to trust in His Word. His Word is faith and hope. It is the faith teaching with the sworn promises, because hope is the sworn promises. It is the Word that contains the promises. Faith teaching is the foundation, who God is, who we are in Christ Jesus. Sixth, trust in God comes from or grows for when we look upon the sworn word of the Lord. Psalms 141, verse 8. But my eyes are upon you, O God, the Lord. In you I trust. Do not leave my soul destitute. From this verse it follows that that which we look upon, in which we concentrate our eyes on, is our trust. It's very important. That which we concentrate our eyes on, our attention. Pay attention here that for the serpent, the cunning serpent, for devil, it was necessary to just do one thing, to place Eve's eyes on a different object. He says, take a look. I just, I ask you, just look, look at this tree, quietly, just a little bit, just a little bit, look at it. And scripture says, and the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasing to the eyes and it was desirable because it gives knowledge and she took of its fruit and she also gave to her husband and he ate now this is important that which we look upon our trust goes there because trust is that which we look upon our my eyes are upon you O lord for i trust in you therefore for the serpent he just needed to turn her eyes or to look at the truth from a different angle. That's why it's very dangerous. How do we turn our eyes? It's very dangerous to listen to other preachers because they offer not just words, but they offer certain angles, a certain perspectives of the truth. And here it's very dangerous so that a person is not it's dangerous because a person may be swayed by different kinds of winds of teaching. He may be carnal. She needed to understand that being carnal, she needed to be aware that she could be seduced by all kinds of winds of teaching. To not allow her in the Eden of her heart. Because all everything begins from the fact that we don't protect the Eden of our heart. A rebellion thought then comes then the thought says, take a look how your brother looks at you, take a look at what he has done. Then we begin to look, and sometimes people say, I, in five minutes, find that I have already killed my brother in me, in my thoughts. I've already done so many awful things. Lord, I'm a criminal. A person hasn't done anything, and I've already killed him in my thoughts. I just completely turn my eyes to something else. It's important to not turn our eyes, and we must protect the Eden of our heart from Satan. Seventh, trust in God comes from or grows out of the fear of the Lord, which is the portion of God's chosen remnant. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Psalms 56, 3. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom of God or the revelation of God that comes from Him. It is this kind of fear that produces trust in God. Because trust in God and simultaneously simultaneous trust in our capabilities is incompatible. Psalms 44, 6. For I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. Here, 
This talks about how he trusted in what? He trusted in God. And the fear of the Lord means to trust in God. When there is some kind of danger that a child has, for example, who does a child run to? He runs to his mom or his dad. Momentarily, when there is some kind of danger, any kind of child, his first reaction, he doesn't run to the elderly. First one is to find mom and dad in the crowd. And when he finds mom and dad, a small child momentarily begins to run to his parents. Same thing with us. We must understand that we can't rely on our own bow or our sword. We must find our comfort in God. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you, Lord. Okay, and then a question arises. What role and what purpose did Scripture endow the virtue expressed in trust in God? What is its purpose? We provided a short definition where we can see trust. And now what is its purpose? What is the purpose of trust? The first purpose of trust in God is called to give a person the right to call God his God. Psalms 31:14. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Psalms 31:14. You are my God. This is a great privilege to call God our God. And this occurs when we accept salvation in the format of a seed, receive it as a property belonging in the format of a fruit. We can before this say, Dear Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, O Father in Heaven. But in order for us to say, as in this Psalm, Psalms 31, 14, I trust in you, O Lord, I say, you are my God. In these words, it's not just, dear my Heavenly Father, but my God means that I have received God as my property. The Holy Spirit began not became not just a guest, but the Lord and ruler of my life. Because Scripture says, and He has given us a deposit. What kind of deposit? Deposit of the Holy Spirit. Given us deposit means give him, gave him for a time so that Holy Spirit from a guest could become our Lord and ruler. So that as just as he became in Rebecca for the house of Laban, he did not become ruler, he remained a guest. And the servant of Abraham, Holy Spirit, could not do anything for Laban and for his household. He could just give him gifts of the Holy Spirit, supernatural gifts. They prayed in tongues. They felt anointing in their congregation. They cried, rejoiced, ate pizza. They had all of this, but they didn't receive God as a belonging, as a property. He came as a guest. He left as a guest. He came as a guest for Rebecca, but she received him as a property, as her master ruler, and received it as the Holy Spirit, as a belonging, or received it as a deposit, meaning that Isaac became our groom. How do we define if the Lord Jesus Christ is our groom? Please tell me, what kind of relationship do you have with the Holy Spirit? Is he a guest, or is he the Lord and ruler of our life? Are we led by the Holy Spirit? This was the first purpose, very interesting, uh, Pastor had shown here. The right to call God our God, to receive Him as a belonging, so that He is not just a deposit, but it could become our Lord and ruler. 
Second, the purpose of trust in God is called to give a person the right to draw near to the Lord in order to declare His works. Psalm 73 verse 28 But it's good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. As you can see, according to these words, it is truly only he who trusts in God that could draw near to him, and only he who trusts in God could declare all of his works. What kind of works? Who God is for us, what God has done for us, who we are to him for God in Christ Jesus, and what we must do on our end to inherit all that he has done for us. A person who draws near to God, he has the right to do, to lay his trust in God. We can't lay something in God if we don't have the right to draw near to Him. And without trust in God, we are unable to draw near to the Lord. And of course, when we're talking about trust, who has the right to draw near to God? It's not just enough to say, Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the person says, I have entered into the throne room. What kind of throne room? What kind of throne room? No one has entered anywhere. I will close my eyes. No one has entered anywhere. Saints, no one has entered anywhere. To draw near to God is possible only to lay our trust in God. To lay our trust in God is impossible without the treasury of hope and the sword promises of God in our heart that are founded on the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ who came in the flesh and all of its broad format. When we have this riches, with these riches, we are able to draw near to God. Third, the purpose of trust in God is called to give us a guarantee that God will hear us when we pray. Psalms 38, verse 15. For in you, O Lord, I trust. You will hear, O Lord, my God. Fourth, the purpose of trust in God is called to produce joy and gladness in order to give God the basis to defend us. Psalms chapter 5, verse 11. And let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy, because you defend them. Let all let those also who love your name be joyful in you. From these words it follows that God truly defends only those who trust in Him. And this true trust produces joy and gladness. True trust produces joy and gladness. So, without trust, we are unable to be clothed in the dignity of unblemished joy, which we proclaim continually in our manifest. It is necessary to have trust. Fifth, the purpose of trust in God is called to serve as honor toward God and simultaneous protection from His anger. Psalms 2.12 Honor the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way. When His wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. From these words it follows that the lack of trust in God is a lack of honor toward God, from which we can conclude that saints that refuse to trust in God are the vessels of anger, whereas saints that trust in God, on the contrary, are the vessels of blessing. So the lack of trust in God is a lack of honor. This means one belongs to the vessels of anger, whereas saints that trust in God, on the contrary, are the vessels of blessing. This is honor toward God. Who is the Son? Honor the Son. Honor the Son. This is the messenger of the Father. 
he gave this mandate to his apostles. He says, My dear ones, as the Father sent me, I send you. He breathed in them the Holy Spirit they received, and now they had the powers that he had. You will represent these powers in your local churches. Now, when it says, honor the Son, it means honor those people whom God gave to you to represent, to represent his word. And this is important for us to understand, that trust in God without honor of the Son, or honor to the Son, or anointed ones that he has sent, has no legal basis. Sixth, the purpose of trust in God is called to free us from the fear of our own flesh as well as the fear of all flesh. Psalms 56, 4, In God I will praise His word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? From these words we read, it follows that he who trusts in God does not fear the flesh and all of that which comes from the flesh. Because through his trust in God, he is placed in the depths of God where he praises the word of God. As Isaac had done, when he had heard that Esau was coming to him, he took 400, 400 soldiers to kill him. Jacob, I mean. Then God met with him and wrestled with him all night and gave him in this night, he gave him the name Israel. He says, now you will overcome. Now you are overcome man. Now you are going to be able to overcome Esau. And Esau took 400 people with him and went in order to kill his brother Jacob. David also, when he went in order to kill the wicked one, he took 400 men with him. What does this mean? It means of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That in order to be delivered from the old man in order for the in order to conduct this full victory we need 400 and of course when Abigail had found out that David is coming with this army she went out to meet him with the gifts so the soul was contrite and when Esau took 400 men here it was necessary for the spirit to become contrite. When David took 400 and went to go destroy Abigail and her household, she needed to be to conduct contrition, to bring gifts, to bring them to David. But when Esau took 400, when he went in the death of the Lord Jesus and went against the Spirit, because the Spirit must undergo death, then the Spirit in the night goes through this contrition. He takes gifts and he brings the gifts before him to Esau, and he gains his soul, he gains his brother Esau. So pay attention here that here it is talking about how the soul becomes contrite and how our spirit becomes contrite. So we do not fear flesh because our trust is in the Lord. Seventh, the purpose of trust in God is called to serve as absolute independence from the fear of not just our flesh, but the fear of all men and all authorities. Psalms 56, 11, In God I have put my trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? From this victorious testimony it follows that those that trust in God do not fear men, because fear before people testifies of their lack of trust in God. In other words, we trust on who or what we fear, what we praise, 
as well as before whom we walk or rather whose opinion and appraisal we depend on. Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. So he trusted fully in God and did not walk before other human authority. We also must not walk before people well, what are they going to think about me? What are they going to say? But we must walk before God. What is God going to say? What will God say about us? And then it's going to be easier for us to live a holy life when we have our trust in God. Eight, the purpose of trust in God is called to uncover the potential of God and His faithfulness. Psalms 31, 19. How great is your goodness which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. Nine. The purpose of trust in God is called to turn God's favor on him who trusts. Psalms 147, verse 11, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who trust in his mercy. Only through trust. Take a look at how many characteristics so the favor of God is impossible to gain without trust. Tenth, the purpose of trust in God is called to serve as a shield to those who trust in God. Proverbs 35, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. And now that we are familiar with the essence and purpose of trust in the word of the Lord, we will look at the conditions that allow us to gain trust. What price we need to pay in order to gain this trust. And so let's look at the first price. Again, I'm reminding you that we are today talking about trust. And now, what price do we need to pay? The first price for gaining trust in God is comprised of the need of our obedience to the word of the teacher placed by God so that we can be a disciple of Christ and pay the price for our discipleship. Proverbs 22:19. So that your trust may be in the Lord, I have instructed you today, even you. So, I have instructed you today, so that your trust may be in the Lord. You might, we want to say, well, Lord, when am I going to teach? We've seen these kind of people that have surrounded our churches. They say, well, the time has come for me to teach. The time has come to be teachers. We should no longer be students. But Jesus tells us that he was a disciple. And each time he woke up early in the morning, the Lord, each time he woke up a disciple because when we went to sleep, he did not let go to sleep a teacher. He went to sleep a disciple and he received revelation in the night. And when he got up, he also woke up from the position of a disciple. Therefore, Christ was also a disciple. He was a servant of his heavenly father. And Christ and was then and is forever the same. Scripture says, do not follow false teachings from which you receive no benefit. Christ today and then and now is the same. He was a disciple then, he is a disciple today of his Heavenly Father. He never even had the idea, well, what am I going to teach? No, of course, he could teach it, he did teach, but he taught from the position of a disciple. When he was asked by the high priest, tell us the secret, we can't understand. The, dis the disciples are asked, well, you, are not, you did not go to get an education. You speak the word, we speak the word, you have anointing, but we don't have anything. 
and we had concluded, for example, biblical colleges and so forth. But these don't give authority. When we teach from the position of a disciple, this is authority. When we teach from the position of a teacher without being a teacher, this is a catastrophe. In order to have authority, we need to, if I testify, if I say something, I speak from the position of a disciple, and this is very important. Scripture says, I teach you today, and today I am a disciple. Jesus said, for example, I am reading the notes of pastor. I am not reading from the position of a teacher. I am reading from the position of a disciple. This means that Christ today, forever, was and is the same. All right, well, we heard the apostle, but you are listening to a disciple right now who is reading the revelation of the apostle. What does this mean? This means that you also have this. That if you have the ability to hear the disciple teach that which the apostle has given, you have this state of a disciple as well. The second price for gaining trust in God is in comprised of the need to feed from our mother's breasts. Psalms 22, verse 9. But you are he whom he, who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. Feeding from our mother's breasts means having an organized partaking to the church in which God placed us and directed us to. This is that place that we have, where we have the right to drink the mother's breasts. And not every church, not every church is this kind of a mother. Yes, all mothers have breasts. All mothers have breasts. But not every breast has trust. In order to have trust, it is necessary for this breast to have the sworn promises. Scripture says, for it is written, Abraham had two sons, one from the bondwoman and the other from the free woman. She from the bondwoman was born of the flesh, from the free woman according to the promise. And he says, the Sarah, this is Sarah, and Sarah was that mother whose breast had the promises. And the bondwoman, or rather the servant, the bondwoman who gave birth to Ismail, Ishmael also had a breast but did not have the sworn promises. What breast do Christians feed from? The church, the breast Zion, has the sworn promises. Third, the price for gaining trust in God is comprised of the need to allow Christ to dwell in our heart. Colossians chapter 1, verses 26-27 through 27, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to His saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the trust of glory. From this letter of the Apostle, it follows that those that trust in God are people who allowed Christ to dwell in their heart, and this means to represent the interests of Christ on earth, in heaven, and in hell. When Christ is found in me, I represent his interests. And so the fourth price for gaining trust in God is comprised of the need to allow God to place us to place us in his depths. The first part of trust God is placed in us, and the second component it is necessary to place ourselves in God. Psalms 91 verses 1 through 2. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High 
shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. From these words that are familiar to all of Christianity, it follows that those that trust in God are people who allow God to place themselves in Christ, so that they could dwell in the secret place of the Most High and under the shadow of the Almighty. And this means that one of the conditions for being clothed in trust in God is our decision and ability to give God the might and opportunity to represent our interests on earth, in heaven, and in hell. As a result of which, for those that trust in God, this will be a fortress and protection, a unique third fourth price of trust. This entails pl- placing Christ in our heart and for us to place ourselves, place ourselves in Christ. And all of this is necessary for trust. If we don't, if we lack one thing, we won't have trust in God. And this isn't so that Christ is found in me, but Christ, but I'm not in Christ. This happens together. We are immersed in Christ, and Christ is immersed in us. We'll take, for example, some kind of takes a water and then a ball with air in it. It's going to it is going to float on top. Now, if you immerse it, it is going to be immersed inside the water. We have placed a weight on this ball, and it gets immersed. People say, what is first, this or that? It happens all together. One verifies the other. It is impossible to be immersed in Christ without having Christ in ourselves, without having the character of Christ, without representing His interest. All of it is mutually tied together. The fifth price for gaining trust in God is comprised of the need to allow God to renew His mercy for us every morning. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have trust. He begins to say, with his, so he begins to speak with his heart. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. From this prayer of the prophet, it follows that the renewal of God's mercies from man's perspective assumes that each morning proclaiming to oneself and one's heart that we have not been consumed because God's mercy to us thanks to his faithfulness did not fail because it upon fulfilling this proclamation on our end has the property of renewal every morning this is from which we begin our morning exercise with with proclaiming so that the mercy of God does not fail and could renew for us every morning. This is through the proclamation of our trust in God. Our uh, prayer exercise, we'll say prayer exercise, this is to thank God and to proclaim our trust in God. And then His mercy is going to renew every morning. The sixth prize for gaining trust in God is comprised of the need to have the dignity of a servant of the Lord. Psalms 33:23. The Lord redeems the soul of His servants and none of those who trust in Him shall be condemned. According to this revelation, it follows that the promise of delivering souls from perdition through trust in God is given only to those saints that have the dignity of a servant of the Lord. And we've already talked about how it is necessary to have the quality of a servant, a disciple, that the Lord will deliver only His servants that trust in Him. It is n- 
not possible to trust in God without being a servant of the Lord. How does God define that we are His servants? We we say, Lord, I'm your servant. Well, the Lord says, show me your ear. Because how a person is made a servant, when it's come, it comes time to bring him uh, to to free him, uh, the servant comes and says, I love you, I want to remain your forever servant, me and my household. He says, okay. And the ear was pierced. The ear was pierced for the servant. And now this person was the eternal servant. To define our status that we are servants of the Lord Jesus, we must define it according to the ear of a person and not, Lord, your servant stands before you. Well, sir, show me your ear. There's nothing on it. Nothing on it. Why are you lying? You are an adult, but you are lying. That's not fair. Why is your ear not pierced? And when the ear is pierced, then every morning, this will prompt us to listen as one who who learns. And this ear not just had the opportunity to receive a revelation, but receives this revelation when it is pierced. And it is going to be pierced in order to receive the revelation in the boundary of that word in which it is offered. Not just somewhere on the internet we find something. Let me tell you this great revelation that I found. No. A person has become a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He receives the revelation only from the base of that preached word that he has given. If I am a servant of Christ, well then we show our ear that is pierced. And it is have the opportunity to receive revelation but only in the format of those words which we hear from this place. And as soon as a person begins to find something that is independent of this place, this means that his ear is not pierced and this means that he is not a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The seventh price for gaining trust in God is the need to not subject the word of God to doubt. Every word of God is pure. He's a shield to those who put their trust in him. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5. The word of God that is pure and it is a shield to those who put their trust in him is possible only when we accept the word of God as a pure word. This doesn't mean that, well, Lord, can you give me the dirty word, a word that is unpure? No, the Lord gives the pure word. I accept it in my heart. And now this word must cleanse and must be placed into the furnace seven times from all of my foreign impurities. God gives the pure word. And now, when I say, Lord, I thank you that I accept the word of God in our church as your word, as gold that is refined, and when it comes in me, now it must cleanse me and be cleansed together with me from all human impurities. Trust in God will be rewarded with a great reward. As written, therefore, do not cast away your trust, which has great reward. And to define this great reward, I will mention several components of this great reward, which we can inherit if we keep our trust in God till the end. What is going to be the reward? We defined trust, the purpose, what is the price for gaining it, and now what is going to be the reward for keeping our trust in God? Scripture says, do not leave your trust. That's 
which has great reward. First, the reward for keeping trust in God is comprised of the fact that God has forever made us His house. Hebrews 3.6 But Christ is a son over His own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. From this revelation it follows that only he who trusts in God and keeps his trust till the end can be established in the status of the house of God. How did he establish the house of David or David and his kingdom? When he had sent Hiram, king of Tyr, messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons and they built David a house and scripture says so David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel all of these components and Hiram king of Tyre the Holy Spirit messengers the messengers of God cedar trees truths carpenters masons my capabilities of the renewed mind my will that begin to build our house this means that we become ours to God, a property of God, we affirm the truth in ourselves. The second reward for keeping our trust in God is comprised of the fact that God saves our soul from falling by the sword. Jeremiah 39:18. For it will surely deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but your life shall be as a prize to you, because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. Today, this sword are words of slander that are sent to undermine moral virtues and the authority of lawful powers. And God has said that the Lord will deliver us and that you will not fall by the sword if you trust in God. So these words of slander, rumor, gossip, it won't be able to, it might give us pain, but it won't be able to overcome us. It will not kill us. Why? Because my trust is in God. The third reward for keeping our trust in God is comprised of the fact that God will fill our hearts with joy regarding the salvation that is gifted by God. Psalms 13 verses 5 through 6, But I have trusted in your mercy, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The fourth reward for keeping trust in God is comprised of the fact that God will lead us into the inheritance of the promises of the land or of the promised land. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who trust in the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. A person that doesn't have trust in God is a person that does evil, and these people self-destruct. Somebody who does have trust in God, this kind of a person will inherit the land, or inherit the promise that lays at the door of hope, when the Lord will give, or will bless our land with the resurrection of Christ, our body, and will affirm. will affirm this resurrection in our bodies. This is only for those that trust in God. The fifth reward for keeping trust in God is comprised of the fact that God gives us the opportunity to live the full number of years. Psalms 55:23, Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. From these words, we can conclude that those that trust in God will never go the way of all the earth at half their days. And we are not talking about the literal number of years, but the fullness received by us of the imperishable inheritance in Christ Jesus that is hidden, contained in our heart in the promises of God that are grown by us out of the seed of justification into the fruit of righteousness. So the full number of years is when justification we received in the fruit of righteousness. 
Christ left at 30 years. We see that he didn't leave until 75, 80 years. Why? Because the fullness of years is not measured by the number of years lived, but the fullness of day is defined through the ability of a person to go from the seed of justification into the fruit of righteousness. And if a person, eight is 18, if he is young and he has been able to bring uh, the seed of justification into the fruit of righteousness, then scripture says this person is filled with life. Filled with life. Sixth, the reward for keeping trust in God is comprised of the fact that God will give us the ability to hear His mercy in the morning. Psalms 143 verse 8, Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. According to scripture, the renewal of the mercy of God is tied to the early morning, because any morning is the beginning of a new day. And this kind of renewal of a mercy can serve as a reward only to those that trust in God. And seven, the reward for keeping trust in God is comprised of the fact that God will keep the faithfulness of His promises given to us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our trust without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Trust is founded on the information of the proclaimed truth, leading us to the adoption of our bodies through the redemption of Christ. The Lord has said that He is faithful for those who proclaim this trust with their heart. We are going to pray right now and thank God for that word that we had. On Sunday, we are going to begin to look at called to perfection. So pastor had said, we had talked together and he says, I have a desire for you to, on Sundays, to review called to perfection, that which we normally would review. And we're going to talk about those signs according to which we will judge of our partaking to the perfection of the Heavenly Father. And this is through our ability to clothe our essence into the unearthly selective love of God, which expresses itself in the atmosphere of brotherly love. He says, dedicate some time for this topic and talk about brotherly love. And if pastor has found it necessary to dedicate this time to brotherly love, then this Sunday we're going to study this topic and it is likely going to t- last about two to three months and we're going to have one topic, brotherly love. He has found this necessary and we must fulfill uh, the desire of his heart through which we are going to be able to be clothed in the perfection of our Heavenly Father. He and He has said He has the desire to pass along uh, a message to the church in the format of a video. And again, I'm fast-forwarding a little bit, but uh, He will do this when He finds it necessary and pass along this blessing to us and a comfort and teaching. And we will wait for this. We will pray. May be blessed in your prayers. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we thank you for the great privilege to be found in the place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you, Lord, that you have placed upon this place 
a remembrance of all of your names. The enemy had tried to encroach upon this place and had wanted to take away this place. But you, Lord, have placed your mark upon this holy place and the enemy was incapable of this and we thank you for the great privilege to be found in this place and to proclaim your word we thank you Lord that you can keep in perfect peace him who is firm in spirit we thank you for this peace that is evident in our ability to trust in your word we thank you for this firm foundation of your word your faith teaching which you have placed to us through your messengers we thank you Lord we thank you Lord that we have accepted the word from our pastor Arkady not as the word of man but as the word of God as it is in fact and we have accepted this word and have placed this word this truth that has been uncovered for us by the Holy Spirit we have placed it in our heart as the faith teaching and we thank you we thank you that our heart which was cleansed of dead works in it was laid a foundation a foundation of the faith of God your Lord faith teaching and when a firm foundation was placed you had given us Lord hope you had given us the treasury of your promises that began to appear upon this great foundation of the faith of God we thank you for all of your wonderful promises for the promise that relates to the door of our hope for the promise in which you want to save our spirit our soul and our body and in wholeness without blemish to keep them to the day of the coming of the Lord Jesus and we Lord thank you we thank you for this wonderful promise of full salvation that we today accept and that we grow in and that you affirm in the death of the Lord Jesus we thank you Lord for the promise you and your household shall be saved not just our spirit soul and body but you have said Lord that we are going to be saved together with our household therefore we thank you we thank you that our soul our body and our spirit that our children our sons and our daughters are tied in the bonds of life in the Lord our God you have allowed us to call ourselves to call you our father we thank you that you are our God and you Lord have become our God when we accepted justification and when we made the decision in the death of the, in the death of the Lord Jesus to place into circulation to receive it in the fruit of righteousness and through this you became for us Lord you became our master and the Lord and ruler of our life we thank you father in the name of your son Jesus Christ for the Holy Spirit whom you have given as a deposit for a very short time so that we 
together with our justification which we receive in the format of righteousness, in the format of a fruit, that the Holy Spirit from a guest could become eternal Lord of our life. He has given us the power and the right to call the Lord Jesus our groom. We thank you, Lord, that you have become our God and we have become your belonging. We trust in your word and we trust in you and we thank you for the opportunity to be placed in you where you protect us. We thank you, Lord, that you today are placed in our heart through the truth and the Holy Spirit. And we today pay the price to protect your truth, to suffer for your truth. We thank you, Lord, for the great privilege to be clothed in your perfection, our Heavenly Father. And you will do this only when we receive the capability to clothe our whole essence in the holy love of God, agape, that is going to express itself in the atmosphere of brotherly love, Lord, that dwells in this place and that must dwell in our heart, in my heart. And allow us to resurrect all of these truths and to remember who truly is my neighbor, and he who is close but is far from you, who is far from your truth. And for us to not violate your commandments, but for us to incline ourselves to your commandments and to begin to represent your interests and to be clothed in the powers of servants of Christ. We thank you, Lord, and we ask you that the word of God so the door can be open to the word of God we thank you for all of these truths for all of these revelations which you have already given to our pastor brother Arkady you Lord have given them in order to open them up to us and so that these truths these mysteries hidden from ages could become the property of our heart and therefore we with trembling wait for when you are going to teach us because Lord we trust in you we trust in your word and we with trembling we with trembling wait for your word and we know Lord that the word which you speak is the pure word but it having ended up in us. You want this word to cleanse us. And we ask you to continue to cleanse us, to continue to refine us, and we are going to continue to trust in you, to trust in your mercy, and to trust in your ordinances. We continue to trust in your ordinances that you can pour out your anger upon all evil and all lawlessness. We thank you, Lord, that entering 
into the sanctuary of God, into your church, for us to be able to hear the fearful end of your enemies. Because you have placed them on slippery paths. And our foundation you have placed upon a firm foundation, upon your word, your truth, and Jesus Christ, because no one can lay another foundation than the one that has been laid in Christ Jesus and allow us to build upon this foundation, not out of wood, straw, or hay, but gold, precious stones, silver, so that when you will begin to test this building, so that it could withstand, so that when you are going to test our structure, that it may not be built on the sand, but for our trust to come from our hope, these great sworn promises, which lay on the firm foundation of the faith teaching of Christ and the faith of God. We thank you, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, for your faith that you have expressed to us in the faith teaching of Christ and allow our faith and our faithfulness to your word to collaborate with your word, your faith, and to proclaim or to trust in your word. We thank you, Lord. For this trust, for your truth, and for the Holy Spirit, who reveals the significance of your word, May your holy name be blessed and praised upon this holy place, our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We will conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with unblemished joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.